Hello, everyone, and welcome into another episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. Here for the flagship episode. At the time of recording, the Bundesliga is back. Football is back. Fans are back for the most part in venues. It's been amazing to hear. And you know what? Bayern Munich didn't lose their first game, even though there were concerns with Julian Nagelsmann, all the injuries to the squad. It's not all doom and gloom. We can look forward to what will probably be a very enthralling season. 15, or in 15 days, we've got five matches. There's a lot to talk about. And today, I am joined by Bavarian Football Works' own I Need No Name, he who should not be named. This is the first time you're seeing this dynamic duo on this podcast. So I always refer to him as INN or just in in my head on our Slack channel. So that's for the sake of this podcast, what I'm going to say, how I'm going to address him. In, how are you doing today all the way on the other end of the globe? Uh, I'm doing all right. It is well past midnight at the moment, but I'm wide awake because if you're an Asian football fan, you get used to it very quickly. And I do have a little bit of a cold. So if you notice that in my voice, please excuse me. I can't really help it. I just hope it's not the coronavirus, you know? Anyway, uh, let's get started, I guess. How are you today, Tom? I guess you are in good spirits, Liverpool one. I am doing very well. And I have to thank you in very much for uh, delaying the start of this podcast so that I could watch my beloved Liverpool spank Norwich 3-0. But I don't want to get too much banter. I know people will give me stick. If I'm here talking about Liverpool too much on the Bayern Munich podcast. So without further ado, in I hope that it's not coronavirus. I hope you get better as soon as possible. I know you said you have uh, some classes coming up, so hopefully uh, you recover quickly. But without further ado, we've got a lot to talk about. So we saw Julian Nagelsmann's first competitive match in charge of Bayern Munich. It would have been the DFA-Pokal call first round against Bremer Esval, but as we know, that was postponed till later this month because of coronavirus quarantine measures. We wound up tying Borussia Mönchengladbach 1-1 at Borussia Park for the opening match. A lot of different personnel we saw in preseason because of the amount of injuries, because of people coming back late after their Euro 2020 holidays. So in, I know you had actually done the post-match, post-match reaction podcast for this match, and you mentioned that we saw a lot of new faces and a back line that as Bayern fans, we almost never would have expected if you took away all of the injuries to the squad. And, you know, Nagelsmann had to make some adjustments in the second half to accommodate what Gladbach were doing. Bayern had their moments. Gladbach had their moments. But, but in just thus far, what, what impressions have you got from Julian Nagelsmann? And, and how do you think he's done both with yesterday and, I guess, preseason combined? Okay, this will be a little bit controversial because Bayern Munich fans like to be positive at the beginning of the season. But I don't really feel good about Nagelsmann's start so far. It is a little bit underwhelming. I expected a lot more from him. I think everyone expected a lot more from him, but you can see it on the faces of the bosses every time they cut to them during the broadcast. They seem quite concerned whenever a goal is conceded by Bayern. The preseason games, you could dismiss them because they were preseason games and, you know, we didn't have many of our Euro starters, but now that we've had our first competitive game under him, it's looking like it's going to be a slightly tough start to the season. I don't know what is actually going on behind the scenes. I hope it's all okay, but it is looking like a rocky start for Nagelsmann, and I don't think he's really adjusted to the vibe of the team and how it should be playing at the moment. I can elaborate on that if you want, or is that... Oh, no, absolutely. I was just going to say, I mean... 
I think what you were saying, and as Bayern fans, a lot of us will know with the amount of injuries that we've had and, you know, the amount of matches that we, we're going to have in quick succession, you know, there's all this talk about, uh, we were even talking about it earlier on our Slack channel earlier today, where, you know, if, if one or two things go wrong for Nagelsmann in that 15-day period where we have five matches, you know, how quickly some Bayern fans and, and pundits like will get on his back and you know, I would just kind of lodge the question to you in because I feel that personally, I feel like our front office, you know, our hierarchy are going to give him a lot of slack knowing the situation that he's in. Um, and you could argue that this is even a bit of a transitional season as well. You know, losing David Alaba, losing Javi Martinez, losing Jerome Boateng. It's never easy losing those veteran uh, players like that. But do you sort of think that even if things go wrong, you know, Super Cup against uh, Borussia Dortmund, uh, FC Köln? quickly uh, thereafter. Now I'm drawing a blank on the schedule and the order of it. Uh, Hair to Berlin to round it out. But in, do you think that the, the board is going to give him that, that amount of slack given the circumstances? Uh, I think that since the board is a little bit new, we will hold off on him. And because of how much we've invested in Nagelsmann, we'll just have to hold off on whatever we want to do with him. But there's a big but. If he does get off to a really, really bad start, and that's really possible if he loses the super cup and then maybe drop points against cologne and who knows what else we have rb leipzig right after the international break which is another huge trap game i i would say that if those games end up in losses i think nagelsman will be under a huge amount of pressure and he will be under the hammer just to claw things back i remember it happened under kovac where Kovac was really protected by early Hernes and he still had him under a lot of pressure. And when the second international break of the season came through, you had him basically just sequester himself and turn into a, um, I don't know what you would call it. He looked like a meth addict by the end of that. And then he came back and the performances picked up kind of, I mean, they got a little bit better. And I think that's something that might end up happening to Nagelsmann simply because it's such a high-pressure environment. And I think the high pressure is justified. I, it, it is the biggest club, one of the biggest clubs in the world, the biggest club in Germany, and the stakes couldn't be higher. We need to win every single game, every season. That's the goal of the club. We want to win every tournament. We want to win every trophy. There is no room for anything less than perfection. And Everyone knows that. I mean, Niko Kovac, he won the double in his first season and it was um, the boss, bosses didn't really treat him with any uh, sympathy for that. He got booted as soon as the uh, results started taking a nosedive. And I think Nagelsmann will be treated the same way. And I think he should be treated the same way. I should say that I am a big Nagelsmann advocate. I think he should have been hired as coach as far back as 2017, back when Angelotti was fired. He was actually angling for the job back then. So I think he should have been hired as far back as then, even when he didn't have any experience. But uh, what I want to say is that even though he was a little bit young back then, he seemed to have what it takes. And I still think he has that, that little bit of, what should I say, X factor that you need as a buying coach to succeed. That being said, it's all a results-oriented business. And we know this squad is good. It, it has problems. It has problems top to bottom. But it's good enough to be getting off to a good start in the league. There is no 
fundamental flaws in the squad that anyone should be able to exploit. And Julian Nagelsmann, with these players at his disposal, he should be getting off to a decent or good start and then just taking it from there, as in going to newer heights. I don't want to see um, a transition period because there is no need for one. Uh, do you think I'm being a little harsh, Tom? Absolutely not. I think you're right. At the end of the day, you know, we can sit here and talk about safety cushions, you know, the fact he's a new manager, but let's face it, he's had two separate tenures with, with two clubs in the Bundesliga. And as you mentioned, he has a track record for working very, very well with young players, which uh, we do have uh, quite a few of at Bayern Munich, as we saw uh, yesterday, you know, with Josef Stanisic. I thought he was fantastic, did make a few mistakes. Uh, Jamal Musiala, I think he's one player who seemingly is just going to get higher and higher with a guy like Nagelsmann at the helm. But at the end of the day, it is results based. And if those results aren't coming, you know, the board will face some serious, serious questions. In addition to Nagelsmann himself, you know, we can look at the landscape of the transfer market. We can look at what business we did, what we didn't do, what we thought we should have done. But, you know, as you mentioned, at the end of the day, it is a results business. And while the support should always be there. If push does come to shove at a certain point, you know, as far as results are concerned and, you know, they don't go in our favor and a change needs to be made, then, you know, I, I have full faith in our board, even though there's some new members on that board that they'll make the right decision, whether it's a personnel change or doing something with his coaching staff. But I don't think you're being too harsh at all. And I think, you know, as Bayern fans, that should be the expectation. You know, the support is always going to be there from us, but you know, the decisions have to be right because at the end of the day, it is, as you said, and as I've said three times now, I don't want to get too redundant, but it's all about results. And if the results aren't coming, you know, something needs to be looked at, which is actually uh, in a, a pretty good segue to what we want to talk about next, which is the transfer market and the transfer window and as it relates to Bayern. So we've seen some absolutely astronomical fees tossed around this window, even after the height of the coronavirus pandemic. I just don't want to say after coronavirus because it is still around different parts of the world. It is still wreaking havoc. But to name a few, Jack Grealish to Manchester City for 100 million pounds. The fact that they can afford that is ridiculous. Harry Kane might still wind up moving there for upwards of 120 million pounds. Lionel Messi, as we all know, has transferred to PSG on a contract, I believe that's two years worth 25 million euro per year, which is quite a bit of money, even for the arguably the best footballer on the planet right now, whether you're in a Lionel Messi camp or Cristiano Ronaldo camp in that argument. And then you have a club like Bayern, who somehow is touted to potentially sign Marcel Sabitzer from RB Leipzig for around 18 million euro, which as Chuck and I mentioned on the last flagship episode, just seems a little bit too good to be true, all things considered with you know the, uh, the quality that Sabitzer has and what he could bring to Bayern Munich. But you know, as we know, we've had some rough patches in the transfer windows in the past. Our deadline day signings two windows ago. Obviously, we brought in Upa Makano as the big guy this time around. But, you know, in what are your thoughts on that? I mean, could Bayern have done more? Is it just absolute ridiculousness that clubs like Manchester City and PSG can spend that kind of money when nobody else can, especially after a global pandemic? Or are there areas where Bayern could do a little bit better? Well, that's a big question. I will tackle it in parts. The first Thing is that we do have to acknowledge that the market is very hostile to Bayern Munich at the moment. We have technically spent up to 60 million euros uh, this summer because there have been basically no sales so far. And we had to get Upen Meccano from his release clause and we had to get Nagelsmann from Leipzig. So that's a pretty decent outlay overall. But even so, it's not 
anything compared to what the teams in the Premier League or uh, PSG have spent this summer. And I think the gap is only going to get wider as we go ahead. The ones that really worry me are the possible striker movements across Europe, like Lukaku going to Chelsea, Kane going from Tottenham to City, and obviously Messi moving to PSG. These moves kind of take those three clubs who I would say were the top, a part of the top four alongside Bayern last year. It takes those clubs to the next level. And Bayern don't have the next level signing from this summer. Upamecano is good, but he's not a next level signing. And to be fair, it's very difficult to find a signing that would take a club like ours to the next level. We are already at pretty much as good as it can be. And all we need is like depth and more quality through the squad. But it is really tough to see how we compete unless we get a little bit lucky and unless Nacosman really figures out everything about his tactics and gets the team completely gelled together like Hansi or Yuk did in the trouble seasons. That being said, you know, I will not absolve the board of their dealings because we have not been good in the transfer market. I don't understand what they're doing because some of these players that we have right now, their contract negotiations should have started at least two years ago or at least one year or a year ago. A good example is Niklas Zula. Niklas Zula has entered the last year of his contract and he needs to be uh, either sold or extended, okay? There's no question about it. We cannot have this guy on our roster doing whatever. I know he's a good player, but he's one of the few players with any value on this team as well. And if he's not going to extend, then sell him. You need to sell him. You need to find a buyer and move him on. That same thing goes for other guys. You know, we had David Alaba on our team and we should have started the extension process when he had two years left on his deal. Because he was 26 back then, and he was a key member of our team, a proper future leader of the team. And that was back when Ribéry was still at the club and could have helped him decide to extend contract. And instead, we waited until Ribéry left. We waited all the way until George Alaba hired Zahavi, and then it just degraded and degraded, and the leverage shifted from the club to the player when the, um, the contract started running down. And that's something that's kept on happening. The contracts have kept on running down. Kimmich is another one. He is, at least we got some of the deals done with him quickly. I think Bayern recognized that Kimmich is one guy we cannot afford to lose at all, no matter what happens. But Goretzka, I don't know why we didn't start his contract extension talks as soon as after Chelsea last year. Okay, back when we were extending Neuer and Muller, and the talks with Alaba and Thiago were progressing, Goretzka should have been over there. He should have been in the room discussing new terms for his contract. Why are we waiting on his new contract today when he has only a year left? That gives us almost zero leverage, especially given that he's now one of our most important players and he wasn't as important back then. We could have had way more leverage if he had just done these things in a more timely, more, um, how should I say, more efficient manner. And I don't remember us being so late on contract extensions before, except on Tony Cruz, where we really didn't kind of rate him and we just let him go because we didn't think he was that good. And I hope that the bosses aren't making that mistake again because some of these players that they're letting go, they're really, really, really good. And even if they don't want to stay at Bayern anymore, you could move them along for a transfer fee and then reinvest that fund into the squad. Letting them go for free is really killing us on the market right now. Imagine if Alaba 
instead of leaving for free, he left for 30 million like Thiago did. That money could have bought us Sabitzer already. It could have bought us new right back. It could have bought us so much stuff. Like, could have bought us three more youngsters from who knows where Brazil finds these people. You know, that's that's the thing that's really missing at this club at the moment. Those timely extensions or, I mean, the timely transfers away. And selling is a real big problem at this club at the moment. We are trying to apparently sell Chris Richards, who is one of our few assets that any club would want. And we're trying to sell him for just $10 million. And I don't understand how $10 million is a fair evaluation of Chris Richards' talent. He showed at Hoffenheim that he's a Bundesliga-capable uh, centre-back and he has all the qualities of a modern centre-back. And you see him and you see Bayern desperate to sell him for $10 million just to raise some funds. And it makes no sense why he's on this kind of um, limbo at the moment because if he is not sold before the window... What do we do? Do we loan him to Hoffenheim or do we keep him on the bench? I mean, and while he's doing that, he's not going to extend his contract either. So we are going to end up with a contract quagmire with him as well. Same goes for Taliso. He's on his last year of contract. We can't shift him because he had a terrible last season. Uh, we should have decided what we wanted to do with him last summer, not this one. Um, and I don't even know what to say about Puissance and Arp anymore. <laughs> Puissance was about to go to Leeds and then something happened in the medical and they decided to cancel it. Who knows? That was, I don't know. It was reported that Bayern tried to insert a buyback clause or something and Leeds refused. If so, that would be quite terrible business by Brazo. And there is a problem with Brazo that he seems to see some of these players as his project players and he doesn't want to let them go. And he keeps on making them go out on loan to try and gain confidence, gain minutes and these loans never really work out the same thing goes for arp and you know as well as xerxy we should be selling these guys as soon as possible for arp okay no one's gonna buy him but for xerxy we should have sold him while his value was high if we didn't want to keep him we shouldn't be taking so many half measures these loans don't work and they're not helping the club at least use your loans to try and raise money like what chelsea do with their loan army don't keep on doing these Hail Mary loans and hoping that someone will just succeed and then you end up being able to sell them. That's not how it's going to work. And I think Brazo is just a bit naive about that and he needs to get better in that aspect of his thing. Am I wrong? I don't know. Am I taking a bad look at it? No, absolutely. I think you hit uh, a, lot of, a lot of perfect topics right, on, right head on. There's clearly uh, a lot of discrepancies and a lot of issues with both the loan system, knowing when to sell, knowing when to initiate discussions for contract extensions, as you mentioned, brought up Chris Richards. It's very interesting to me as well that, you know, especially in the Bundesliga, we can't find any suitors for 10 million euro for a guy who I think is worth much more than that. You know, the Premier League would really be the only place that can financially swing that right now. And just as you had mentioned with the injuries that we have, yes, Luca Hernandez and Benjamin Pavard will both be coming back in a few weeks time and we'll have them back in the swing. But you know, when a situation like now happens, you know, I, I think a lot of Bayern fans would, would say that it would have been, you know, uh, a, a bit more comforting to have him on the bench, which he was against Gladbach, but uh, an unused sub, but might have been better to see him come on instead of Buona Star, um, you know, not to discredit Josip Stanisic at all. I think we all can agree how well he played against Gladbach. But, you know, just hearing everything that you were saying, you know, especially with the loan system and you know, it's interesting that you bring up Brazo and, 
we we hear just a few days ago that Nagelsmann is internally pushing for transfers, and we know that in the past Hansi Flick and Brazo had their disagreements over different transfer targets, namely Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, who both went off to Chelsea in the Premier League, uh, Leroy Sané, which I was also going to tie that in, in just to kind of tie things together. You know, obviously everybody took a financial loss from the coronavirus. There's a lot of moving parts uh, in that sense when you don't have, you know, certain ownerships with endless checkbooks. You know, that's another argument. But how much of this do you think also stems from the signing of Leroy Sané? and how long that conflict was. And we even got a slightly reduced rate for him because of that knee injury that he sustained two seasons ago in the Community Shield of all competitions against Liverpool at Wembley. You know, that deal was going to get done right around that time. Supposedly, his entourage asked Pep Guardiola not to be in the lineup for that match. We don't know if that's true or not. Obviously, he winds up getting injured in about the seventh or eighth minute. And fast forward to the next transfer window, we finally get him. With a little bit of a discount, but as we know, you know, his wages have caused a bit of a stir amongst the Bayern roster of wage structure, you know, and all these contract extensions that we're still going through. Kimmich, Leon Goretzka, as you were talking about earlier, Nick Lazula, either extend or sell. Quarantan Tolisso, love the guy, but his injury history is terrible. You know, his market value is only going to continue to depreciate if that keeps happening. You know, we have to figure out what to do with them, and, and time is of the essence. And yeah, Mikhail Kuizan's just lost cause. I know he's the hashtag step over king and you know all of that. He's clearly got some attitude problems, but our board really needs to figure out what to do. But you know, last word on this and is, is do you think how much of this I should say, like what percentage, how much of this do you think is actually a result of the wages that we do have to pay Sane since we signed him for Man City? I would say that Sane is a small factor in the wages because wages have lost us Alaba, but we could still keep Kimmich and Goretzka as long as we keep them. It's fine. The thing about Sane's transfer was, okay, um, we got a discount from Manchester City, but we didn't get a discount from Sane. We ended up paying him the same wages we agreed to pay him all the way back when we negotiated the pre-pandemic contract with him before his injury against Liverpool. And I think that's a mistake. I think that after the pandemic hit, we should have renegotiated with him. And I don't see why we did not do that. If he had refused, we should have just said, okay, fine, this is a bad deal. We should not get into this. And, you know, one of the things I need to say about that is they should have taken a little bit more time with that. I know that the fans are really clamoring for that to happen, but we should have taken a little bit more time to really negotiate, see what the state of the squad was, and let the fans get pacified by Anzi Flick's amazing, amazing team. Okay, if we decided to cancel the Sani signing in July last year, that would have caused outrage among the fan base. But if we did it in August, right after the Champions League final, people would say, okay, fine, we'll get someone else. If we are the Champions League winners, who cares? Okay, so that's something that I think we missed out on. We announced Sane beforehand. Everyone was like, okay, these guys are going to be so good next season. But we shouldn't have done it that early. We should have continued negotiating, tried to negotiate down his wages to a commensurate rate. And we should have kept an eye on what Gnabry and Coman are doing and what they're liable to do. Because you could see that these guys have the potential to explode and maybe possibly do better than Sane. And I don't see how, how Brazil thought or whoever on the board sanctioned these wages. They thought that Sane was going to do so well that he decides to come in immediately 
and be given wages that are higher than Thomas Muller, one of the most consistent and good players in the squad. And that, and mind you, that was after Thomas Muller's contract extension. So it's not like we didn't know what Muller would be given at the time. They knew exactly what they were paying Muller and decided Sane was worth more. And that just torpedoed the wage bill. And it also made us lose leverage in every single negotiation we are going to have from now on. Everyone wants more money. Sula wants more money. Kimmich wants money. Goretzka wants money. Anyone who is even half decent will want money. We, we are lucky we got our Fonzie extension done really quickly, like in the weeks after the Chelsea match. Because I bet you if, if he hadn't done it by then, he would have asked for like double what he's getting right now. That's one of the things that the Sane deal really crippled us with. And I don't like how we handled it. There were other options, okay? People on our blog we mentioned guys like Federico Chiesa, who was really lighting it up with Ribery at Fiorentina. We should have just had Ribery say, you know, whisper Mia San Mia into his ear and get him to come here instead of going to Juventus, where most Italian players end up. We should have done that because, you know, there is a little bit of animosity between Fiorentina and Juventus, and they would have rather sold him to us at a discounted price than, you know, selling him to a direct rival. Juventus, who are really, really hated in Italy. Not hated in a way that Bayern are hated in Germany, but hated in a truly institutional sense. So the fact that we didn't really do any of that, it's just kind of weird to me. And there, it shows me that Brazo has one of these, uh, he has a very clear vision of what he wants the squad to be. And he doesn't really care who's managing it or what he wants done with them, as long as he has the players he wants. And then he thinks that once he has them, it doesn't matter who's in charge of the squad, they should be playing in a certain way and they should be getting a certain amount of performances out of them. That's something that we saw in reports that the board expected Hansi to make the signings work. It's not that the board would make signings that Hansi could use. It was that Hansi would make the signings work by himself. And that's something that we're hearing now from Nagelsmann, about Nagelsmann, sorry, that the board wants Nagelsmann to make the youth signings and everything work from his part, it's not that the board is making signings that Nagelsmann can make. It's that the Nagelsmann is making is adding value to what the board is doing. And I think that's a completely backwards way of doing it. It's an okay thing to do if you do it occasionally. You kind of occasionally force the manager to compromise. But if you're constantly relying on the manager to add value to a squad that isn't really that valuable, you're in for a really tough time. 100%. 100%. There's... Like I said, there's a lot of moving parts to all of this. You have people who are in the, you know, blame Brazo camp, blame Hansi camp last season, which was few and far between. Uh, it, it's hard to blame Nagelsmann at this point for anything. Um, you could easily point to the board and say, you know, you have to give Nagelsmann more support and you can't just say, here are the pieces, make it work. There has to be a little bit of leeway and a little bit of leniency, I guess, in communication between both parties. But last word on transfers in. Do you think we get this Sabitzer deal over the line before the deadline? And I know that potentially have been in the market for a right back. Earlier today, a report came out that said we were contacting Kilo Kerr, Kerr's representatives, German right back for Paris Saint-Germain. Do you think that Sabitzer deal gets over the line before the window closes? And do you think we'll go in for a right back as well? That's an interesting one. I think Sabitzer could go through if we really get hammered by Dortmund this weekend. Sorry, this midweek. If we get hammered, it's going to be like when we got hammered by Hoffenheim and then Brazil just turned into overdrive and decided to get Saar 
uh, Chupo and Roka in like 24 hours. We didn't even hear anything about those. And then suddenly they're here. That's one of the things that happened after half a nine. It was like those three panic signings. And this has shown that Bayern are prone to panic signings. But I think that's the reason why Falk was telling us that personal terms were agreed with Zabitzer so that we could just quickly submit a bid, get the paperwork done and get Zabitzer from RB Leipzig if that panic moment really happens. And if it doesn't happen, I don't see any more transfers coming. I know for a fact that every single sport journalist is saying that Bayern will only make transfers if we sell players, but there is no one on this squad that anyone wants to buy at the moment. Anyone that we can sell, we don't want to sell. And anyone that we don't want to sell is way too like important to like let go at this stage of the window. At most, we could have sold Sula, but that should have been done ages ago, not now. Not after he's probably one of our few right-back candidates in the team. It's really, it's kind of unfortunate how this has happened, but that's how it is. And I don't think we're going to go for a new right-back, especially not Tilo Kerr. I know Brazo, he's not really rated well by the fan base, but he's not stupid, okay? Uh, maybe he's maybe he's not that good as a sporting director, but he knows enough about football. He's a footballing man. He's not like the clowns in charge of Arsenal. Tamron will kill me for this, but he's not he's not Edu or whatever. But he's not that, okay? He's not that bad. He's decent enough to know a terrible player when he sees it. And Tilo Kerrer is worse than Pudasar. He cannot get this man. I cannot see him in the Bayern jersey. At best, he would be a traffic cone for Coleman to practice with. At worst, he would be more drop points and possibly cost us even more money than we can afford to spend. You know, that's about all I have to say on transfers. I don't want to talk about this much longer because it's kind of depressing, you know? Yeah, sometimes it really can be. It really can be. But as you said, we don't want to burn too much time. There's about two and a half weeks left in the transfer window. So if stuff does happen, obviously be sure to, to monitor Bavarian Football Works. We'll get out the news as soon as we can if and when that news comes, but just to kind of tie this podcast together in, you know, we've seen a a lot of the big guns already out in full force uh, this opening weekend, if you will, uh, of football across Europe's top five leagues. And, you know, with that, we obviously did not see a full strength Bayern against Borussia Mönchengladbach. It's arguably we won't see a full strength Bayern for, you know, at least uh, the next couple of weeks, because as we said, we still have some of those injury returnees to come back. Luca Hernandez, Mark Roca, Benjamin Bar. Alfonso Davies still technically isn't 100%, even though he went a full 90 against Minchin Gladbach. I thought he was uh, very, very productive against them. But we've seen a lot of moves, as you mentioned, Lukaku to Chelsea, Jack Relish to Manchester City, Borussia Dortmund at the time of recording, just walloped Frankfurt before we started recording this. You know, so, and I, I just kind of want to end this by saying when the, uh, the Champions League and European competition gets up and going, you know, who do you see as our biggest rivals? As I said, we saw a dominant display from Dortmund Liverpool just before the time of recording, although they were playing a recently promoted Norwich side. Manchester City, we still haven't seen play at PSG right now. I think are playing Strasbourg. I think they're up 1-0. No Messi in the starting lineup and no Tilo Care. Uh, thank goodness for your sake in. But you know, so who do you really see as our, our um, you know, biggest opposition, biggest rivals uh, in the Champions League when that time comes? So the thing about the Champions League this season is that all the big teams, let's not talk about Juventus for now, but all the big, big teams, they are coming in with stability and all the contenders have a stable base to build upon because all of their managers have been there for at least one season already. Whereas Bayern Munich are starting from scratch once again. This is Julian Nagelsmann will be our third new coach in three years. 
we had Nico Kovac in 2019, Hansi Flick in 2020, and now Julian Nagelsmann in 2021. And that's the kind of instability that really, really starts to hurt a squad. Whereas, you know, Jurgen Klopp, you've seen him, how he's turned Liverpool into a machine. He can keep getting performances out of them. And even if he might struggle with occasional motivation issues, occasional systemic issues stemming from, you know, problems with um, some players not being replaced or whatever, those are things that you can work through because you have a stable base to build upon. Same thing goes for Pep at City, plus his, you know, amazing, amazing finances. Uh, why, why did I even call them finances? And, you know, Pochettino, he's already been at PSG for a year. He wasn't very successful, but you, he has Messi and he has already one year at the club and he's Argentinian as well. So he's going to know how to use Messi, I hope. That's one of the things that you see at, and then there's Tuchel at Chelsea, who is a great coach, has now been to two Champions League finals in a row. And he's just won the UEFA Super Cup. So these guys are threats, okay? And Barcelona, Real Madrid, they're having a down year. Bayern Munich, we are in a transition again. Every year is a transition for us these days. But we are in a transition again. And we really need to find our feet really quickly. Because even teams like Manchester United, who three years ago, they were nowhere near us, okay? Pre-pandemic, they were not even within striking distance of us. But now they look really, really formidable. And they could cause us problems. It's really looking like the UCL, reaching the UCL semis could be tough. It could be really difficult. And I'm looking at Dortmund, how good they were today. And that could also factor in. He could be in for a real tough time in the league as well. Even though Marco Rosa, he's just started off at Dortmund. It seems like he's uh, been there for at least a few years because they seem so fluid and they seem to be working in sync with each other, whereas Julian Nagelsmann's bind, they seem very disjointed, things didn't come across properly, that there's still so much work for him to do. I think that's the real issue right now, but one of the good things about that is that Bayern have a good squad. We have, okay, I won't say a good squad, we have a good starting 11. We have, in my opinion, the best starting 11 in the world. We have an amazing striker, we have an amazing attacking midfielder, amazing midfielders. Davies is such a good left back the best in the world i know you won't agree with me because andy robertson plays for liverpool but davies in my opinion is the best left back in the world then we have lupa meccano tangini onzu has so much potential sula is great and neuer is also you know the best goalkeeper in the world so with these guys nagelsman if he can get these guys into a system that works we can go toe to toe with anyone but when injuries hit or if we get unlucky or if Nagelsmann really isn't up to the task, there is really no, there's no way that we are going to be in the upper echelons of Europe just by inertia from Hansi's team. We really need to work hard this year and it's going to get harder as we go along if the bosses are so miserly about investing in the squad. Yeah, and I got to be honest with you, there hasn't been... I mean, I've been with BFW, I think, since the summer of 2017, I think just about a year or so or a few months or so after you started with us. But, you know, given all given all of the injury circumstances, obviously, as you mentioned, we are very used to having a new manager uh, within the past five seasons at, at Bayern Munich. We're very used to the changes. So that always is going to pose uh, some questions. But I think all things considered, while we do, I agree with you, have one of the best starting 11 in European football, when everyone is healthy, all of those things considered, you know, I am very nervous for the start of the Champions League campaign. 
you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see once they do the draw to see what group we're in, who we're going to be playing, uh, you know, the order of the home and away legs, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, I just think it's too early to, to make a valid assessment. You know, I, I think it'll be a, a week or two before we really see this full throttle Bayern Nagelsmann ball, if you will. You know, I think we saw some some great sequences yesterday, Friday at the time of recording uh, against Gladbach. There's that one clip that's doing the round. I think it even is titled Nagelsmann's ball where we, or Nagelsmann ball, sorry, where we just play out of the back. Very, very clever one-touch pass. And uh, I believe it was the chance that Lewandowski had the, the side-footed effort with his right foot that Jan Sommer saved. Of course, Jan Sommer turns into the greatest keeper in the world every time we play Gladbach, but <laughs> that's another story. But, you know, for me, just remembering uh, last season when Lewandowski had his injury, he was out for four weeks. And I'll just pose this to you. I mean, do you side with me in the fact that I would most want to get revenge against PSG? Just that that clip of, uh, I believe it was uh, Paredes celebrating with Neymar right in front of Kimmich, almost in a you know intentionally obnoxious way. That just sticks in my mind. And that because of that, I know we already beat them two seasons ago to win the treble. You know, to win the Champions League final in Lisbon during the bubble, but I just want—I want to see it again. I want another chance at those guys, especially now that they have Messi. I want to atone for that—you know—that that missed chance, if you will, since we didn't have Lewandowski. You know, arguably one of the best strikers, best number nines in the world right now. So, so is that a moment you're looking forward to the most, or is there some sort of revenge or perhaps uh, anti-Juventus, you know, uh, agenda that you want to have in those latter stages of the Champions League? The main one I really want to face is Real Madrid because they are a little bit in a downturn at the moment, but we are still maintaining our level. So this is the time to get our revenge for all those, you know, eliminations at their hands and keep our status as La Bestia Negra, keep that, you know, intact because we are one of the few teams to have a positive record against Real Madrid in the Champions League and overall, actually. And I want to keep that going. I don't want them to, you know, keep on posting that Ronaldo offside goal every single time on their channel because it's really really annoying and i really hate that another team i really need to see us face is juventus because i commonly comment on their blog and i've been telling them how much better Bayern is for the last several years and it's time for a rematch so we can i think they'd be really soft opponents at the moment even with allegri back because their midfield is terrible just to get an idea of how bad juventus's midfield is imagine if unisar was starting quality at Bayern. That's how bad Juventus' midfield is. Well, I don't know if we'll ever cross their path again. I know the last time we did, couldn't really handle it. I wasn't with BFW at that time, but that was a crazy match. Crazy two legs. But with that in, I know we've discussed quite a bit here. We've gone on for, for a little while. I know this is the first time we've had this dynamic duo. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, I think we're, uh, we're going to wrap this up. So again, Thanks again for listening to this episode of Bavarian Podcast Works. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe on whatever streaming platform you use, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, whatever it is that you use to listen. Be sure to check us on Twitter, myself, at TommyAdam71 for in. I believe it's at I Need No Name. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Uh, at the Barrel Blog, you can go tell Chuck how much he sucks <laughs> and uh, how much he needs to uh, stop hyping up the ARB train and the Timo train. And again, thanks for listening. And... Until next time, which we will probably be post-capping the DFL Super Cup against Borussia Dortmund. Auf Wiedersehen.